digitally literate? Do you have boundaries in place to control your smartphone use and devices? Or do you feel like technology is controlling you? That's what we're going to talk about right here, right now on Polly Campbell, Simply Said. Hello, 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 and welcome to Polly Campbell Simply Said, the podcast where we talk about how to live well, do good, and be happy. And you know, that is so often influenced by what we put in our bodies and our minds, how we engage with the world, as well as the nourishment we consume. And a lot of that goes to the media we watch, what we choose to believe, how we choose to respond to it, all those things that's been on my mind. I'm raising a teenager, so digital literacy, what even is that? We talk a lot about how we use devices in our household, but I'm thinking about it more too in my own life. You know, I've shared before that it was years ago I stopped watching the television news because it was upsetting to me. That doesn't mean I don't consume the news. I read the news and I stay up to date because that's important to me, but I no longer wanted to see the videos. Now here's what's happening though, right? As I log on to read my news articles, wherever I get them, then those advertisements pop up or I see a piece of celebrity gossip and I go down the rabbit hole. None of us are immune to these pop-up videos or these ideas. So I think it's important that we keep learning about how that works on us, how we can manage that or process or understand and live in cooperation with it so that we can use the media in our life to enhance our lives. And uh, so I called in the expert here. I've got Dr. Pamela Rutledge. She's the director of Media Psychology Research Center and the faculty in Media Psychology program at Fielding Graduate University, where she designs and teaches courses on just this kind of stuff, brand storytelling, audience engagement, and positive psychology applied to the media. She is a consultant, a speaker, a writer, a researcher. I read her blog on psychology today. You should check it out also. And she talks about how we can apply this stuff to our own behavior and how businesses can use it to attract consumers, to sell products, to really be in relationship between the customer and the media. Dr. Rutledge, welcome. Oh, it's delightful to be here. Thank you. Well, you do a lot of stuff and this is a big time for all of this. Did you relate to what I was saying? Like I turned off the TV news, but now I'm getting bombarded by these news clips and these videos whenever I turn on my phone or my computer. Is that something you're hearing from others as well? Are we kind of on overload? Well, people talk about overload a lot. And I think one one thing that you said that really struck a chord is that there's a lot of similarity between how we think about the media we consume and how we think about the food that we consume. In other words, we have choices all the way along about what's a healthy diet in in both venues. So it really is, you made a choice not to watch the news. Now, of course, the news is working pretty hard to make you watch it anyway, um, which is really part of digital literacy is understanding how people are getting your attention so that you're not suckered into these rabbit holes, so that you're going, oh, there they go again. Okay, I know that one's, that's one that'll get me. So, you know, I'm moving on. So that you're making conscious choices. It's like, I mean, it's just like food, right? It's intention. It's all about intention. Uh, you know, it's, it's really funny. I can, you know, back in the day, 
when we had answering <laughs> machines for our telephones. Yes, I was um, in that day too. So that's all. Right. <laughs> but there was this idea that if the phone rang, you had to ha answer it, right? There was somehow you didn't have the right to not answer. And so I think that we have a very funny relationship with media where we assume because it's there, we have to consume it because it's got our eyeballs. We have to look at it because the phone rings, we have to answer it. When in fact, we're in charge of the whole thing. I think that about so much of life, right? We can be deliberate in the choices we make and how we spend our time, how we respond to adversity, how we do anything and start creating the lives we want instead of being victimized by these things. I hear so many people and I have done it too, blame the phone, right? But it's not, <laughs> I don't have to pick up the phone. I don't have right. to have it in my hand. So you write a lot too about the positive aspects of media. Can we have it both ways? Are there benefits as long as we can manage how we use it then? Well, there's absolutely benefits. And I think that, that the one sort of basic premise that I operate by is that technology is not going away. So we can piss and moan and carry on, but at the end of the day, it's up to us to figure out how to use it well and to use it in a way that supports our own growth and flourishing and doesn't take us off our path or, or the goals that we're trying to achieve. So, but there are, even without that kind of intention, huge benefits to technology. The fact that you and I get to, to talk with each other, that's thanks to technology. The fact that I can find my way into Los Angeles to visit my daughter when there's traffic, that's due to technology. Lord knows I, I don't know the freeways that well. <laughs> during COVID, the research, I know everybody's worried about how much kids started using social media during COVID. But during COVID, the kids who actually were able to connect with their peers through social media ended up much healthier mentally than the ones who were isolated. So there's all kinds of benefits that we don't think of when we're busy pointing a finger or feeling like we've wasted time. So it's really, how do I take charge of this game? You know, and I think that's changed a lot. Like I've noticed that in my own life, in the beginning, it was so new. And I I was, I went down those rabbit holes and followed all these things. Now I recognize, oh, this is a tool I can use. So it's okay to have some boundaries. Like when somebody texts me, like you said about the phone, I don't have to respond that moment, that day. I don't have to stop my dinner and have the phone at the table. In our house, we don't have phones at the table. And that's as much for me as my teen. One of the challenges I'm facing right now in my own experience is I'll see something that's all bright and showy on the phone or the computer. And I'll think, oh, I need to check that out. You've written about this. That we see a celebrity wearing a certain kind of shoe or sweatshirt or doing some health thing. And because we see them online, it gives credence to that technology or that treatment or whatever it is. So what you said in your piece was, okay, we need to be a little more discerning. Just because we see somebody wearing the next newest thing doesn't mean it's even proven or reputable or any of that. Is that what you mean by being deliberate? When we see something online, it doesn't make it true for us. We have to investigate. Well, yeah, we need to take the responsibility. It's very easy to think because we're getting this information essentially delivered to us that somehow that legitimizes it, whether that's, you know, a celebrity wearing something or you've just heard it a lot. There's a lot of psychological reasons why those things start to become more believable. But it, at its core, digital literacy is about developing the skills to be effective using digital technologies 
and developing the knowledge to use it safely and responsibly. So it's really this sort of tool set. And what I would like to encourage every parent out there for themselves and for their kids is that these are not media skills. These are skills that are life skills, skills to say, how do I be effective using the tools at my disposal? How do I make judgments about the things that are around me so that I can be safe? How do I behave ethically and responsibly in my environment, whether that's on, you know, Facebook, Instagram, or, you know, at the corner grocery store. I like that notion of the tool and behaving ethically and responsibly. You know, we, we got fire and we don't burn everything down, right? We decide <laughs> when to light the fire or the stove or the candle. And, and I think that's our responsibility. It's not, it's not the phone company or the PC company or any of those people. So what, how do we start this? And, and you, you know, we talk a lot about kids. I'm a grown up and I need to learn this stuff too. I need, I want to become healthier and more discerning. Uh, and, and I'll give you an example. Like I want to think before I pick up Google to get the answer to my question, right? I want to use my brain before I begin the search on the phone. So is that how it is? Are the digital literacy lessons up to each individual or are there certain guidelines that you suggest we look at? Well, I think there are certain guidelines and um, says, you know, you need to figure out how to manage yourself. So self-awareness, which is, of course, a really good life skill um, that uh, that makes a lot of difference in, in all of our lives. We have to figure out how to, in the media, think about the self that we're putting forward, how to manage our reputation, which means understanding the environment and what's okay to put out there and what's not. We have to know how to find and evaluate information. We have to ask, you know, who sent this to me? What does it say? What is their evidence? What do they want? And why did they send it to me? Well, and, you know, and basically all of this stuff, they want your attention. And we are at a disadvantage neurologically, because our brains are hardwired to pay attention to things that move, right? Out there on the savanna, the tiger was much more dangerous than the flowers, right? It was very important to notice what was changing in the environment. Our eyes are, are built that way, right? To notice movement. So when we're on something where things are moving, where there's colors, where it's interactive, it's much easier to have your attention be drawn to whatever action is taking place. And when you were talking about the news, not only are those moving, they're emotional, right? They're telling you something that is impactful. That's why they picked that clip, right? Because they want you to understand the horrors of war or the, you know, of starvation or because the news is not really, you know, putting a lot of really happy stuff out there. But by the same, for the same token, right? Our brains want to know what's dangerous in our world because that's how we stay safe. So understanding how the brain works so you can quit beating yourself up, it's not your fault you noticed something that was moving in a video, you know? And, and then you can say, oh, there I go again, right? But I don't need to do this right now. So that once you know, then you can say, then you can recognize it and, and intake action. So there is 
no behavior change that I know of that makes you perfect and you know of things ahead of time, right? In other words, I go to the refrigerator and I think, oh, the chocolate ice cream looks so good, but I'm trying not to eat chocolate ice cream this week, right? And so I have to make that decision every time or I have to not buy it at the store, but that's a whole other thing. Um, <laughs> but you, But everything is intentional. And I think with media, people beat themselves up so much over, oh, I did this and oh, I did that without understanding that that's part of the learning process. You know, it was, it was all shiny and new and we would have been idiots to not explore it, right? I mean, when Twitter first came out and it was like, people were posting, I had a breakfast burrito and you're going, wow. <laughs> I, you know, who knew, who knew that you could under, know what someone else you didn't know was eating for breakfast. Now that's only interesting for about two days, right? Because it's the phenomenon that's interesting, not the burrito. Then you make those judgments. And so we're now at the point of at least a little bit of maturity. It's hard to get maturity in a world where the technology changes so fast, but where you're saying, boy, this, this tool really works for me. This tool really doesn't. Following this person is inspiring. Following this person is just annoying as I'll get out. And making choices about, you know, where you're engaging. You know, I always say to people, it's like, well, if I, you know, if I unfriend somebody, they'll, it's like, you know, they'll know or they won't like me. I was like, if you were at a party and somebody was really annoying, would you stand next to them? I don't think so. Mm. Right? You'd move away. We are used to having boundaries offline. We just need to figure out how to have feel feel right, recognize the opportunities to have boundaries online, because that's what protects our mental health on and offline. I, I, I want to talk exactly about that when we come back with Dr. Pamela Rutledge right here on Polly Campbell Simply Said, part of the Best Business Network of Electrocast. We'll be right back on Polly Campbell Simply Said. And we are back. Hello, this is Polly, and you're listening to Polly Campbell Simply Said, the podcast where we talk about how to live well, do good, and be happy. And it's about what we consume and how we respond to that, right? The the exercise and movement we put into our muscles and our body, the food and nourishment, and the stuff we take in from the digital world around us. Dr. Pamela Rutledge is here. And doctor, you were talking to us about how it's part of our evolution and part of the way we're wired to want to move to the thing that's moving the the emotional videos or or the um the bright lights and the shiny things but we can put some boundaries in place and right before we went to break you touched on how we do that in our personal life right if somebody sends us a letter that upsets us we don't necessarily respond immediately and yet we get a text from that person and we feel like oh we got to be upset or we got to respond or we got to indulge this bad behavior why do you think that is why is that so captivating but par partly we haven't learned to translate our the things that are hard to learn right because we are fundamentally social animals and social animals means that when someone reaches out we respond, right? If somebody smiles at you, you smile back, right? Automatically, it doesn't like you stop and think that person smiled, now I'm gonna smile. You just automatically smile, you know, mirror neurons and all that good stuff. So we have to figure out how to, what it is that we're experiencing online, what's working, hmm. and then how to, 
how to put boundaries in place. Uh, it, you know, it's there. There are certain people that I just block on social media, not because they're not great people. They probably are great people, but something about them just brings out the worst in me. So it's like I don't really want to feel that way. So I'm just going to have to go whatever smart thing that person said because the reaction in me isn't very good. And so you have to spend some time getting to know yourself. One of the things that I always recommend to people, and, and it's, it is similar to trying to understand why you, know, why you can't lose weight, is you keep a diary of your behavior. You keep a, a media journal. Don't make it hard so you won't do it. Just jot down for a few <laughs> days, you know, when you went online, why, what you were doing, how you were feeling, use drawings, make it easy. But what you're really looking to do is see the pattern of your behavior. And so if you're like, okay, so I was working on the computer all morning, fine, right? And then I spent 15 minutes on TikTok to relax. But then that 15 minutes turned into an hour and a half, right? Then you say, okay, spending an hour and a half on TikTok might not be the supportive of my overall goal of getting my work done. But that 15 minutes of relaxing is a really good thing. So when I go on TikTok, I'm going to set a timer. So at 15 minutes, I pull the plug because I've gotten the benefits. And I don't want to get myself into a position where I'm feeling bad because I've wasted time. So you, once you understand your patterns, then you can make changes. In order to make those changes, though, you have to figure out what it is that you actually want to do, which is, of mm -hmm. course, the, you know, million dollar question in life, right, is, is what is it that you're trying to do? But if you just started with something simple, which is to say, I want to be productive, I want to get the work that or things that I want to get done done, and I want to feel good at the end of the day, then you start using that as the barometer for your behavior. Does doing that make me feel good? Yes or no? I, I, this is such a benevolent approach. This is a little about self-kindness. Like, just tune in. Don't beat yourself up. And, and by tuning in and recognizing those patterns, then we can make changes that actually help us create the mood we want or, or get the work done that we want. And it's true for children, too. These, this, one of the things that are driving me nuts right now is all this legislation that is trying to control social media use and it's very badly written legislation too, but I'm not gonna even go there. <laughs> but it's trying to control social media use by restricting it. All you've done is either teach your kid to be a hacker or driven them to another tool. What you have not done is taught them how to navigate this environment so that they can make positive choices. Yeah. And if you ask a kid to make a journal like that, they're shocked. If you say, well, how much time do you think you spend on, you know, on social media? Oh, maybe an hour a day. And then they find out they've spent four hours. They are shocked. Or if you say, have you ever read the, you know, privacy settings on Snap? Do you know who owns all the stuff you post? No, let's read that. From a friend of mine who taught media literacy, she said at the end of that lesson, the sixth graders, Two thirds of them deleted Snap from their phones. They were so outraged at at the you know at the settings, at who owned what, and and we aren't giving these kids enough credit. 
and not taking advantage of this sort of innate, I don't, nobody's going to control me kind of thing that goes on in the teenage brain, right? Because once kids start to realize where they're being manipulated, they become absolute policemen on their behavior, your behavior. You know, it's, <laughs> it's like the, the cookie jar for the, the swear words. Um, they're very attuned to when they're being manipulated and they really hate it. You know, I think that's an important point. When when my daughter was in high school and she got her phone, we we I had all these rules because I was so concerned, right? Well, of course they didn't work because people do what they're gonna do. Adults do it too, right? You push back, then I'm gonna find another way around it. So finally, we took it as a family mission. Well, let's look at this. We're not gonna have the phones at the table because that feels like it takes away from us. But afterwards, we can get up and look at our phones or whatever it was. And I, th I think you're absolutely right. My daughter still is living her life. She knows how to use the phone for her schoolwork and her other stuff, but it doesn't encroach on my family. It doesn't encroach on the other things she wants to do or does do at work or whatever. But it sure did when I had all those rules in place. It's when we started the discussion and the kind of flexing as a family that things got better. Well, that's so smart. I mean, we, we always recommend have a technology agreement. Hmm. And it's really something that's negotiated, you know, well, let's talk about use. You know, how much do you think you should be using it? If, if you were me talking to you, how much would you think you should be using it? How much should I be using it? In other words, where it's exactly what you did, where you're having a conversation, not just about the child's use, but about the family's use. Because I'll tell you, the most important thing is that you lead by example as a hmm. parent. You know, how many is like, oh, my kid's on the phone all the time, but, you know, as they're flipping through Instagram. So mm -hmm. it's very important that it feels fair. And it's very important to recognize they're going to like things on social media, on that device that you're going to think are really stupid. Yeah. Right. And that's okay. <laughs> and that, yeah. you know, and that's okay. And, but if you say that's really stupid, the door closes. Okay. But if you say that's, I don't, I don't get that. Explain to me why that's funny or explain to me why it makes, mm. you know, does something for you. Now you've got a conversation going, which is really what you want. It builds a bridge of us because you want to know that your child had trust you enough that if they run into something they don't know how to deal with at any age, they come to you. Whether that's somebody trying to scam them on a dating app or extort money from them saying they saw them doing something they didn't actually do, or whether it's just, you know, at the beginning of the Ukraine war, there were all kinds of videos, very brutal videos that were on TikTok. But there's a lot of really young kids on TikTok, right? So what you want is if, if a kid sees something that's upsetting to them, come and tell you about it so you can talk it through. So you can give them the tools. Well, let's, you know, let's make sure that those aren't shown to you on your feed. Now, you know, I hope in my, you know, wildest dreams that TikTok and Instagram actually do enforce age limitations on, on who can be on those apps because there are things on those apps that are probably inappropriate for seven, eight, nine-year-olds. However, it's very difficult when celebrities give their eight-year-olds TikTok accounts. And so that's a conversation. That's a learning moment. That's a teaching moment. 
you can't have a TikTok account. Well, you know, Beyonce's daughter has their Kim Kardashian's daughter or what, you know, whatever your, you know, mm-hmm. celebrity icon of choices. Um, then you can say, well, why would that be a good idea for them and not for you? What's, you know, have that discussion so that they don't feel like you've just shut the door because um, it's, 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 you know, all those kids who said, well, my parents didn't have TV. So, so I used to go to Tommy's house to watch TV, right? In other words, the parents think they're being all virtuous and the kids seeing no TV and, you know, and, the, and, their, and their child's just down the street. The kids are going to figure out a way to get on this stuff. So you want to give them the tools. You don't want to leave them out there unprepared. And I'll tell you from my own experience, when my daughter and my husband and I started talking about this, I got some new tools too. I learned about things and we came, we connected differently as a family for just the reasons that you're saying, Dr. Rutledge, all of a sudden it was a conversation rather than a a discipline or a break. And that didn't mean we didn't have limits. And it didn't mean that she didn't break those limits at times. And that was another conversation, but you're right. That's not a conversation I get to have when I'm holding Instagram in my hand, looking at that while I'm talking to her, right? I have to uphold that standard. And and those conversations lead to such a, a nice level of maturity in kids because they'll start to think about what other people are thinking when they look at an image. You know, in other words, I was joke is like when I show my husband a picture of a room and I say, well, you know, isn't this a, a nice room? And he goes, well, I don't really like the color of the curtains, whereas I'm looking at the couch. Right. In other words, people look at at different things where a child will look at it and say, oh, that's really funny. I'm on the roof with the hose. Whereas the mom looks at it and goes, that's my daughter in a bikini. And what you're wanting is for the child to stop and think, what are other people seeing? when they look at my picture besides what I'm seeing. I love that. We just had that discussion. Like uh, we saw an image on Instagram and she had a very visceral reaction to it from this young girl. And we got to have that discussion. Well, sometimes people may perceive a photo or whatever. You know, I, I always think those conversations, as long as I can, calm down and be that listener instead, you know, parents get fearful, right? I get, I get afraid. And, and when I can calm down and have that discussion, I always learn something from her and I'm hoping, and I'm seeing that she's actually learning from us too. So that that's probably the best way to go. Dr. Rutledge. Well, thank you for being here. How can we follow your work, find your blog? You can find me on psychology today. As you mentioned, you can also find me on Substack. Dr. Pam. Dr. Um, Pam. And my website is PamelaRutledge.com. You can find my blog as well on Psychology Today. It's called Imperfect Spirituality. And join the Substack community, the Simply Said community at polycampbell.substack.com. And I will have Dr. Rutledge's links and so forth in uh, the upcoming column on Substack. So you can find out more about what she's doing as well. Thank you for being here, Dr. Rutledge. Anytime. Anytime. It was delightful to get to chat with you. For me too. And remember, listeners, be deliberate, not only about what you eat and what you do, how you spend your time, but what you take into your brain with this, these images and ideas. Be discerning. You get to choose how you use this technology. And when you are smart about it, it will help us all live well, do good, and be happy. Electric acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. 
Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for The, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric acid.